0: As we end this series today, it's not only the end of 21 days, it's the end of this series, I was thinking about um, those those concepts or words that are uh, really, really familiar, but kind of hard to define, kind of like time. You know, I think everybody, we use the word time, I'm out of time, I don't have much time, I'm running late, or when I get the time, or whatever. But if you ask somebody, what is time? It's kind of hard, you know, it's sort of like... For, for as much as we wish we had more of it, you would think we'd have an easy way to define it. And, and there's other words like um, uh, essence. Like what is, what is the essence of something or intuition? We know, it's not the five senses. It's kind of in your gut. It's sort of like it's hard to define, but we, we use it a lot. Uh, maybe, let me pull one from nature like, like snowflake, like the Northeast right now. If you're watching from somewhere You know, maybe all the way down into the coast of Florida, all the way up, man, you guys have just been beat up with snow and cold weather. And you say, you know, is it a? If if you were to try to describe snow to someone who had never seen it, say, well, it's this. It's not ice, but it's not liquid. It's kind of this little fluffy thing that you know drops from the sky. It's sort of like a little. It's magic. I, I kind of feel that way when we use the word glory. Because it's a word that we, we, we know the word, we understand the word, because it's a word that we are familiar with, we've all heard before. But what does the word glory mean? What is the, what is the glory of God? That's what we're going to talk about uh, today as we wrap up this prayer. Uh, but before we get there, let me just back up for a minute and tell you how we got here. We've been on this series called Unlimited Prayer And in this seven verses of prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, we've been looking at this prayer that Paul the Apostle prayed for the early Christians so that we might understand what we can learn about prayer as we hear it and how we might live this prayer out in our own life. So we've talked about unlimited power. That was one of the prayers. We've talked about unlimited love. Last week we talked about unlimited fullness. And today we're going to talk about unlimited glory. So let's look at the, the very last verse in this prayer. Ephesians 3.21 says, To Him be glory. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now now, what is, what is glory? What is the glory of God? There's many ways to think about it. It is the credit that God receives from the person that He is and the work that He does. But, but flip it around the other way and say, what is the revelation of God's glory to us? It is, it is God's kingdom reign. The glory of God is God's kingdom reign. It's when things happen the way they're supposed to happen. When life, when life is, plays out according to God's will. When God gets His way, when God has His will, it's the it's, um, it's Jesus prayed it like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's when earth starts to look like heaven. That's the glory of God. It's the, here's the way I like to think about it. It's the full expression of God. Now in Ephesians 3.21, we see two places that as Paul was praying this, we see or are supposed to see the glory of god look at it again to him be glory in the church we're going to talk about that one for a while and then as we close today we're going to talk about the second one and in Christ Jesus so here's the question how do we get the glory of god in the church how do we uh, th- this this blinding revelation of the glory of god how do we get these sunbeams how do we get these uh, uh, rays of light of the glory of god into into the church, because this is what Paul's prayer was. Well, I realize when we talk about the church, um, you know, I'm not just talking to you in this room in this moment. I'm talking to everyone online and whoever watches this, uh, whoever's watching now and whoever watches in the future. I know that I'm not talking only to church people. You may be here as a guest today and say, hey, I'm I'm here, but I'm not really a church person. Or I, I stop by and click the video, I'm, I'm not really a church person, but I'm, I'm listening for a minute. So I realized that in our society as a whole, the concept of church can be complicated. Because in recent days, and not that it's only happened recently, but we've seen a lot of problems and We've seen examples, everybody has an example of how the church isn't perfect, you know, and how it didn't live up to what it was supposed to be or what it was supposed to do. And we've seen scandals and we've seen excesses and failures and then there's wounds. And so we'll walk on a little bit of sensitive ground today, if that's okay. I I, want to give you four, four ways... That the glory of God shines in the church, or four things we need to do to see the glory of God in the church. Number one, we must be humble healers. Now, I'm sad to say I can't even count the number of stories that I've heard of people who found their way into a church or at a church camp or, you know, some church experience, and they've been wounded by the people who were supposed to help them. They've been wounded. And I I, I promise if I were to walk around and sit with each one of you and and sit with you online one-on-one, I bet most of us, if not all of us, could name the name, the first name of a person who'd say, oh yeah, I know somebody. And it's just happened too often. But Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think sometimes we're better at the rejoicing than we are the mourning. We're better at the rejoicing than we are the grieving. But somehow, by the grace of God, in order for the glory of God to shine in the church, we've got to be able to look into the eyes of the people who've been wounded somehow, somewhere, in or by the church, and say with all kindness and all sincerity and love... From the bottom of my heart, I'm genuinely sorry. And we've got to be able to sit with them and grieve out that wound. And and let me just stop here and say, if you're in the room listening or you're online and no one's ever said it to you, let me say it today. From the bottom of my heart, I'm genuinely sorry. I'm sorry if you've been wounded. I'm sorry if some egregious thing has happened to you at the hands of a Christian leader or Christian or someone you looked up to, I'm sorry, it shouldn't have happened and we should have done better. And if no one's ever said that to you, I want to say that to you today. I'm sorry. We've got to be able to do that and we've got to be able to offer in all humility healing. And, and we've got to be able to listen with humility and reach out with love and healing and we've got to do everything we can do to not create any more wounded people to stop creating more wounded people and we've got to grieve with every victim until there are no victims left that's the only way that we heal so the so the way that the, the way that the glory of god Shines, if you read the book of Ephesians, it is about the love of Christ and the power of Christ and the body of Christ being built up and becoming complete and whole and full of the fullness of God. And the only way that can happen, we can't just run over wounded people like speed bumps on our way to the glory line. We've got to say, no, 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 no. The glory line's not running over you. The glory line is when you get up, find wholeness in Christ, and you come with us. That's where the glory of God is, right? So when we heal, and when the church is a place of healing, we see the glory of God. Number two, we must exercise wisdom and love. Now, I want to say this is... I, there's no way for me to adequately say it and I'm going to do the very best job that I can. In no way does the point I'm about to make undermine or change the first point that I made. They are both equally true. But because I've been in, serving in ministry almost 30 years, I know that there are oftentimes other circumstances that we have to talk about or we're going to have an incomplete understanding of how the glory of God shines, okay? So we not only must be healers, humble healers, we must also exercise wisdom and love. Ephesians 4:15. by the way, the very next chapter from where we see Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, if you go to Ephesians 4, he then says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Okay, so unwind that truth, and here's what you get. If truth is not spoken in love, there is no maturity, or there is incomplete maturity. Okay? So, so there must be a, a sense in which the church is a loving truth speaker. Alright, so here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes um, the truth is shared in love and a person is not willing to receive it. So rather than wrestling with the work of the Holy Spirit in their inner life what they do is push back and claim that they've been wounded. That truth offended me. I can't believe they said that. Can you believe what whoever so-and-so said to me? And rather than trying to embrace what potentially is the truth in love, there's a pushback and an offense and a wound. And and so what I just want to say is there's two sides to this situation that we have to look at if we're ever going to be filled with the glory of God. We have, to be, we have to be filled with the glory of God. When I was in high school, I'd been a Christian for maybe just a year or, or maybe a little more, but I was like raw. <laughs> had no idea, you know, like a kid in a candy store running crazy, you know, chewing on the furniture. I, I, I had no idea what I was doing or how all this thing really worked. And, but I had a friend who I had heard in our you know, youth group, he, he was talking about me. He was kind of bad-mouthing me. And I didn't, I didn't really know why, because to my knowledge, he and I'd had never had a real problem. And I didn't know what to do. So somehow this idea came to me that what you're supposed to do, I think somebody, I'd heard it in scripture, somebody had told me, that's what the Bible says, what you're supposed to do is go to the person in private, not talk back about them. So I thought, well, that's new. I've never heard that before. I'll try that so I called him and said can I come over to your house and I went over and sat in his bedroom and I talked to him and I said look I don't, know, I don't know how we got here and I don't know what I've done to hurt you or offend you but this is what people are saying and I don't know how to resolve it but I don't want it to be like this and all I know how to do is apologize and say I, if I've offended you somehow I'm sorry I, and, I, and I'm open for you to tell me how, how that happened and I, I, want, I want this to be over and I wanted to be clear and I wanted to be good between us, and and it, it was a it was a difficult thing. He just sort of sat there with a smirk on his face the whole time, and just sort of kind of gave me the polite answers and and I never felt like it was really resolved. And then about a week later, he handed me a note he had written, describing about how he thought I was holding grudges and some other problems that I had. And I thought, geez, I you know, my first response is I want to hit him in the nose because. He was scrawny. I think I could have taken him. You know, I mean, it wasn't that big. And I thought, nah, we'll handle this right now. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in the neighborhood. You know, we. Uh, I, I, and I just thought, Jesus, I, I don't, you know, I, we're in the church now. I thought things would be easier. And because I was so young in faith and knew I didn't know what to do, I said, God, please help me. Because I don't know. I, don't, I know a bunch of ways to try to handle it, but I don't know what the Christian way is. So please help me. And this idea popped in my mind. I'm going to take that note that felt to me like very unfair criticism and inaccurate, and I'm going to read it, 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 and I'm going to prayerfully open my heart and mind and ask the Holy Spirit to take whatever He can take From that note and to teach me. And that's what I did. And and it's amazing. As I read it and prayed and read it and prayed. Something in my spirit broke. And the anger drained away. And I no longer wanted revenge. And, And I learned a lot. And I'm so grateful for that moment. That faith crisis at the time for me. Here's some of the things I learned. I learned that I wanted to react in revenge and anger, but instead, I, I chose to forgive, and I never responded. I like I'm not going to get into a, I, I, I you know, reached out to you and, and all the humility I could find and sincerity, and it wasn't reciprocated so. I don't know how else to resolve it, but I'm not going to get into a, now I'll write you a note. And I'll tell you all the things that I think are wrong with your life. I just chose to forgive. And my life moved on in joy. And uh, I learned that I should be less easily offended. And I'm so glad I learned that because I didn't know I was going to go in ministry at that time. <laughs> and, it, and let me just tell you, ministry is a place you can get offended And I said, I'm so glad. And here's what I also learned. I also learned that nearly everybody on earth has something to teach me if I listen. Nearly everybody. Maybe everybody. But at least nearly everybody. And that was a formational moment for me. It sent me in a different direction in life than the one I had lived and the one I was on at the time. It changed a lot about my life. So I I just want to say, I think if we'll take the posture of the student rather than the teacher, and we'll look at life and say, what can I learn? Because not everyone who you or I think are our critics are actually our critics. Some of them are speaking the truth to us in love. But if we can't receive it, we're not going to receive the things that the Holy Spirit's trying to bring to us. And I also learned that sometimes people criticize us out of their own brokenness. But sometimes people criticize us because of our brokenness. And wisdom is knowing the difference. And knowing how to receive and follow some of those voices and how to mute out and say, I don't think that is something that the Lord wants me to receive. But that takes wisdom and discernment and that is the difference. Now, this verse says, speaking the truth in love. And and some of you are, you know, wired that way from birth by personality. I mean, I just tell them how it is. I mean, enough of this milly-mouthing around, this politics, and this just, you know, making everything shiny and smooth. Man, I'll just tell them how it is. Well, that assumes a lot. It assumes first that you actually know how it is. You know, maybe you don't know how it is. So I would just say, we, to, to, for the glory of God to fill the church, for us to ever arrive at maturity, we have to be receivers of the truth in love. We have to be givers of the truth in love. And I would say for those of you who say, I've never spoken the truth in love, your relationships are probably suffering a little bit of uh, a lack of authenticity. On the other hand, those of you who are got your finger on the trigger and you're ready to shoot the truth in love out or, or in something, anytime, I would say this. Make sure when you speak the truth, it's in love. Because here's my view, the in love part is more important than the truth part. And here's why I say that. Because oftentimes we speak the truth in anger or in revenge, or in frustration. And so I would just counsel you this way, any time that you feel prompted to share the truth, uh, slow down and say this to yourself, until I'm confident that I'm sharing the truth with this person for their benefit. It can't be for my emotional relief. It can't be to get something off my chest. It's got to be for their benefit or the benefit of our relationship I should not share. Because I'm not in the right frame of mind. My spirit is not right yet. I've not processed this thing emotionally and spiritually enough yet to bring it. And and when I get there, I can do that. But when we exercise wisdom and, and, and love, the glory of God fills the church. Number three... We must be reconcilers. I think it's nearly impossible for you and I to feel, to understand the tension of the first century church. The first century church struggled to try to understand if Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, were really going to be allowed to be part of the faith. Because they didn't just make it up. I mean, you have to understand Abraham was their father. The Ten Commandments was given to them. They are the ones that lived in slavery and exile and broke free and came to the promised land. And King David was their king. And, you know, uh, Moses was their deliverer. And they had preserved this religion across centuries of time while the Gentiles on the earth were just running amok, doing whatever they wanted to do, making up their own religions and everything else. So when Jesus came to earth, the Jews said, He's our Messiah, He's not yours. And there came this big conflict in the church on, oh, oh, oh is this going to be just for us, or is this, this religion, this faith, this revelation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, is this for the whole world? And there was, it was a major, you and I can't, we can't feel it because it's not personal. Like, we don't feel that tension. But that's not to say that you and I don't have points of separation and conflict in our own relationships where we do feel tension. And here's where the glory of God's revealed. When we overcome the natural barriers that, that, that exist in whatever our local society is underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. That's when the glory of God is revealed. So how, how does that glory show up now? Well, in this way, we have to be and every church I think on earth has to be as diverse as its community. We have to have people from every walk of life that's represented in a in a in our immediate community. So we have to have you know white people and black people and Asian people and Hispanic people and Middle Eastern people and we've got to worship together and love each other and understand our differences and unify around Jesus. Now if you've never been a victim of racism, you might be tempted to ask the question, how long do we have to talk about this? And I think the simple answer is as long as it takes. As long as it takes. Why? We're contending for the glory of God. We're contending for the revelation of God's glory through the church. How long should we talk about that? Well, as as long as it takes. The, the, the undercurrent of Ephesians and the undercurrent of this prayer through the whole book is God's glory revealed in unity through diversity. So I remember uh, several years ago there was a law passed in Alabama that um, made it, made it uh, especially uh, uncomfortable and, and a little bit of a scary time for Hispanic people who, who could be stopped. Do you remember this? Who could be pulled over and stopped you know, without cause or whatever, however the law read. And um, I can't feel that because nobody's pulling me over. I'm not in threat of being pulled over. So I went to our Hispanic pastor at the time, Pastor Manuel, and said, Pastor Manuel, can you explain to me please how do the Hispanic people in our church feel about that? How does that affect their life? What impact does that have on them? And he began to describe it. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm legally here. I'm the Hispanic pastor at Kingwood Church. But yet, the way his schedule worked out, his children went to three different schools, and their nine-year-old daughter was dropped off in their driveway by the school bus at a certain time. And because he had to time out the way that all of that went, if he got pulled over by a police officer for... Whatever reason, he would be delayed and leave his nine-year-old daughter in their driveway with no way in the house. And he said, "It's frightening. It's frightening to me. He said, "When, when I drive, I try to be very careful and change lanes right. And you know I'm st- every day when I pick my daughter up, I'm stressed, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I think, "Have I done something? Is one of my tail lights out? You know, Is there any reason that I might could be prevented from being? Well, I can't feel that. And he he said, uh, and at that that exact time, about half the Hispanic people, if not more, who were coming to our church stopped coming to church anywhere because they were afraid to leave their house except for work, except for what they actually had to do. Well, Well, you and I have to listen to that. We have to hear that. We have to embrace that. And we have to say, wait a minute, we have brothers and sisters who are suffering, and the Bible says when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers, right? And, and so when, when Ahmad Arbery was murdered a few years ago, I think in 2020, we had families in our church who, who, were, who, who had teenagers, who these are, these are black or interracial families, and they said, I'm scared to let my teenage son go out by himself. Well, that might, you know, maybe if you're not black or have never been a victim of racism, you may not feel that. But we have to, <laughs> we have to feel that. We have to listen until we feel that. We have to listen until we can empathize. And we have to keep working on it until we deeply love each other and worship together. So I just want to say it like this. If you're black, we, we can't reflect the glory of God without you. If you're Hispanic, we can't reflect the glory of God without you. If you're Asian or Middle Eastern, if you're white, there has to be a blending. We have to overcome the barriers that our society cannot overcome under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, or we're just another organization. How does the glory of God shine through the church? It's when we become reconcilers. Number, number four, <laughs> and we must not give up on the church. Heaven said all that. <laughs> we must not give up on the church. You know why? The church is not perfect. It's never been perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But let me tell you what it is. It is chosen, created by God to reveal His glory. And here's what else I know. I went to the book of Revelation, and I read about the end times. And when you get there, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is returning. And do you know why he's returning? To get the church. He's coming back for a church. So here's at least what that tells me. The church is going to exist between now and then. It's never going to go away. The church is going to endure. The church is going to overcome. The church is going to be here by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and not fearing our lives even unto death, Revelation says. They overcame. So we should not give up, imperfect as it is, incarnational as it is, human as it is, we must not give up on the instrument that God has chosen to reveal His glory. You, I, I say it like this, it takes a whole church to make a whole disciple. So you and I can't become whole. We have incomplete Christianity without the, yes, imperfect, but without the body of Jesus Christ. So let's don't give up on the church. Now, there's one other thought here, and I just want to hit it for a moment. As this prayer was coming forth, Paul was saying the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's just, as we close, let's talk about that for a minute. We oftentimes say, when we're talking to someone who's going to pray and start a relationship with Jesus, we say, hey, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to pick on that language. I, I think it has a good purpose. But here's the um, flaw in how it might cause us to understand this whole thing. It might cause us to understand that we've kind of made a little closet or a sunroom or a little side corner in our heart and Jesus can come and live in it and uh, we're actually the center and sort of like a like a planet he orbits around us. <laughs> but that's not how it is at all in this prayer and it's not how it is at all taught in the New Testament. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is the center and we are in him. <laughs> and our life is in Him, and in Him we live and we move and we have our being in Him. And so, um, I want to read Colossians, there's six verses, but I want to read Colossians 1:15. It's the most powerful place I know in Scripture that, that teaches this idea that we are in Christ. And I, I just want you to pay attention as we read it to every time you hear the idea in Him or in Christ, And just see how powerful it is. Are you ready? The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the the revelation of the glory of God. That's what that means. The firstborn over all creation. For in Him, for in Jesus, all things were created. It all came through Him. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether you can see it or not, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He's the center. He's the center. He's the sun that the whole universe orbits around. He's before all things, and in Him, all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness. Look, his glory, the glory of God dwells in Jesus Christ. He was pleased to have the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. The fullness of God is in Jesus. So here's what I just want to leave you with today. This last thought. Center your life in Jesus. Because that's where the glory of God shines. Now, I think there's so many distractions in the day we live in. I think sometimes the church can be a distraction in a way. The church and Jesus aren't equal. The church is an imperfect revelation of the glory of God. Jesus is a perfect revelation of the glory of God. So if you have a church wound, if you have of frustration with the church, if you see a gap, we can get so distracted by the imperfections of the church, we can get so distracted by questions we don't know the answer to in faith, we can get so distracted by things in the Bible we don't understand, but none of that's the center center your life. Look, partner with the church. Love the church. Receive from the church. But don't center your life in the church. Don't center your life in a leader. Don't center your life in a denomination. Don't center your life in something like that. Center your life in Jesus. Because you'll never be disappointed then. (laughs) We sang it a minute ago. I put my anchor to the ground. There's another place, I think we sometimes, and I, this is not the right way to use this word, but I will. Welcome to Kingwood. I think we sometimes get distracted by the charismatic. And I don't mean charismatic church or charismatic theology, but charismatic excess. You know, years ago I heard about a, somebody found a grilled cheese that looked like it had Mary's face on it, so they put it at a drive through and people backed up for, you know, Hours to see it to drive through and look at the grilled cheese with Mary's face on it. Somebody told me a few years ago about, about a Bible that was weeping anointing oil, and I should go look at it. We could get so distracted. Somebody asked me a couple years ago, there was something about the end times or the, you know, the, all of this stuff. And, and they asked me, and I, they said, What do you, there was one on one in private. They said, What do you think? He said, Here's what I believe it's a distraction from the person of Jesus and his mission. If you would spend the time that you spend trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back and when it's going to end and how it's going to work and which power is going to rise and which nation of the world today is in the book of Revelation and all of that. If you'd spend the time Studying and learning from the life of Jesus and centering your life in Him and learning to walk with Him and have a relationship with Him and take on His character and take on His, his uh, presence and take on His life. Man, that, that's where the glory of God will shine. It, 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 somehow we've created a dichotomy in the church it seems like that we either have people that believe in Jesus or believe in the Holy Spirit but the Bible says that Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit and came out in the power of the Holy Spirit so I believe in Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit Jesus and the the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit we don't have to choose there's no like they're not uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus aren't fighting in heaven There's no dichotomy, for. there's no conflict for them. They're together. They're in complete unity. Complete unity. Center your life in Jesus. And and then there's folks who might hear that and be tempted to say, thank God finally somebody said it. I'm so tired of those Christian, you know, looky-loos doing all this. Let me tell you what the other problem is sometimes. We center our life in culture. We center our life in sports culture and entertainment and fads and trends and whatever the latest thing's going to be and trying to store up treasure on earth rather than in heaven and following, responding to whatever the latest thing is around us and reacting to the world around us. And we get centered in this culture. We get centered in the things that are here on earth. We get centered in how do we live our best life and get all that we can out of life. And you know what? That's not centered in Jesus either. Man, I'll tell you what the world's starving for. Starving for a church centered in Jesus. There's so much spiritual, religious confusion in this time, unlike any time I've ever lived. And the world's starving for a church that just says, you know what we're about? Jesus. Jesus, man. That's where we're at. So center your life in Jesus. As we end this series in this time today, I want. Would you stand with me? I want us to read the final two verses of this prayer together. And I want to ask you as you're as we're reading it, can you even though you're reading it, can you make it a prayer? Can you say as we're reading it, God, let Your glory shine through me. Let Your glory shine through our church. Let Your glory shine. Let me receive the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ in my life. Can you just can you let that prayer bubble up in you as we read this together? Let's read it together. If you're online, I, I, go ahead and jump in. Maybe turn your whatever your device is you're watching, turn it up. and We'll put the words on the screen, and you can, you can read it with us and pray it with us where you are. Let's read it together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Say it one more time. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank You today for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We thank You today for the glory of God in the church. And Lord, we pray that Your glory would shine in this moment and in this hour and that we would see the world would see we would see a a deeper and stronger revelation of the glory of God